0: Buddhist Geeks, Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 284, Contemplative Technologies. This week, we conclude our conversation with UX designer and technology maker, Mike Redmer, with an exploration of the current state of contemplative technology and the potential effects of ubiquitous computing on the mind. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Now that we talked a little bit about Rewire, I want to kind of Expand the scope of the conversation yeah. to explore um, some topics that we talk about a lot. You know, when we're hanging out, yeah. and I think they're really important for people who are interested in this intersection that you mentioned between contemplation, meditation, and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first kind of broad question or area that I think is worth exploring is sort of this question around can and if so, how can technology enhance practice? I mean you've talked a little bit about how you sort of design rewire to try to enhance, you know, concentration training, etc. But in a broader sense, like how can technology enhance practice? Or are we sort of deluding ourselves into thinking that this extremely powerful force which you mentioned in the beginning um it sort of has our attention constantly glued to it? Like uh-huh. Can it? Can we really use that to enhance our attention when, it, in fact, it seems to be degrading our attention? <laughs> yeah. um, so, anyway, I'll we'll just throw that out there, and we can okay. sort of just explore. But um, any initial kind of thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's somewhat something that everyone thinks about, whether they admit it or not. I mean, technology is something that we're constantly interacting with, and. I, I think most people are asking themselves a question like, am I spending too much time online or am I glued to my phone too much or am I, uh, you know, tweeting too much <laughs> or whatever? But but I think it's, uh, it's something that the way I look at it and how technology has evolved to this point um, is, you know, it's early days. And I look at us as modern people as... Um, you know, kids with a new toy, and kind of going apeshit over this new toy and all the cool things that it can do, and how we can be connected to someone that's so far away in all of these different ways, and how we can express ourselves in all of these different ways, um, we can interact. Um, it, it, you know, and it's something that we've not been able to do before, and yeah. so it's it's very new, and because it's new. Um, and that tends to be the emphasis these days is what's what's the the, the newest new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It ain't about the new, it's about that new new.
0: <laughs> it's about that beta. It's about yeah. that beta new. You're like yeah. what is just coming out of beta.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and and it's um you know, I I was watching a um, a series on Udemy uh, called Behavioral Design. And one of the guys was talking about how they're using behavioral engineering in a lot of the design of um, new products. Um, And one of the ways that they create uh, addictive technologies is um, doing many, many different things but one of the things is something called a variable reward, which um, they did uh, two experiments with two different rats. Uh, One rat, when he pulled the lever, they would give him a portion of food. Uh, Just one portion. And the rat ended up pulling the lever three times a day, just whenever he was hungry. Uh, The other rat, they gave him what was called a variable reward, which means he would pull the lever. Sometimes he would get less than a portion, sometimes he would get more than a portion, sometimes he would get one portion, sometimes he wouldn't get anything. And the rat just stood there all day pulling the lever and so and this is this is a rat i mean with a very tiny brain And so this is very uh, deeply baked into our biology um, this kind of mechanism and so uh, the the design of products is using this to create technologies that create uh, addictive behavior so you can see that variable reward system at play in, um, Twitter or Facebook, you know, these streams that you're scanning and you're saying to yourself, you know, good, good, bad, good, good, bad. Oh, that's good. Share, you know, and it's, it's all of these, uh, this variable reward system. And the, the, the other thing was the infinite scroll. So, um, there's no end to it. You know, it just, you scroll, forever and there's endless variable reward content there for you and so the um it's kind of the the downside of technology is that we're learning so much about uh how we're programmed that companies are actually optimizing their products to be more addictive and so that we'll engage more with their product because that's kind of what they're uh, their uh,
0: goal is. That's how they're measuring success often is like how much are people using it. And there's not really a question of whether or not the amount of usage is based on addic- addiction or if it's based on something else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah there's no differentiation there.
1: Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, for us as people who value. Contemplation and uh, understanding ourselves, and you know, having tools and techniques to do that. I mean, I think it's more important than ever for people to have some kind of a practice to to know these subtle. You know, if your subtle desires are being manipulated, and you know, why are you engaging in this particular behavior all the time, automatically, and and to notice, you know, when you see that notification on your phone or that little number one next to your app you know, or, or whatever. Like, what is that feeling like? And what is that, that drive to want to wanna open it and, and know what's there and
0: uh, just explore that a little bit? So we can sort of, in some sense, make a practice of it, and yet that doesn't change the fact that most technologies are still designed this way. So that brings up the question for me and, and uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Rohan Gunatilika has a nice phrase which is like we haven't really started designing technologies yet with the mind in mind. And in some ways I think contemplative design, you know, which is what you're practicing with rewire basically, is like it is actually about looking at the states of mind that the technology induces in the person using it. Is it is it actually helping cultivate certain states or is it sort of feeding addictive patterns? it seems like there are very few technologies like that, that are actually designed with the user's state of mind in mind. I mean, it's just like, it's really uncommon, but that, but that doesn't mean to me though. And I think this is where, this is where there's a lot of confusion about can technology enhance practice is that because most technologies don't that they can't. And I just wonder if there's really just been a lack of, um, of people in that space who have really put a lot of energy and attention into. It. I mean, obviously some have, um, yeah. but be curious well, what you think about that.
1: It, yeah, I mean, at least in the UX space, I'm hearing people talk about that a lot, and yeah. you know, the whole you know ubiquitous computing or you know kind of uh, interfaces receding into the background until you need them. Yes, and I think you know Google Glass is an interesting uh, up and coming product. That you know might have the potential to do something like that. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that people are going to look really weird wearing them, um, <laughs> me included. <laughs>
0: you <laughs> but, especially, <laughs>
1: yeah. just because of my weird shaped face. I think. <laughs> but um, I think that you know those type of technologies, I, I'm I'm really seeing as a, a potential for us to chill out a little bit with the the constant interface. With uh, these kind of uh, you know lifeless uh, hardware contraptions, you know, I, I, I it's like, and it, you want to go somewhere, you got to pull out your phone, unlock it, navigate to the thing, open, such you know, such a pain, such a pain, first world problem. <laughs> UX
0: designer speaking here. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about glass a little bit because I think this is this is sort of an emerging technology. And it will have ramifications for this whole, I guess we could call it an emerging field. Um, I've been calling it contemplative technology. I've heard other people use <laughs> I like that. technology. I like that phrase. I mean, uh, to me, contemplative technology sort of encapsulates this broad sort of practice of using technology in service of some sort of contemplative end. Mm-hmm. But glass, I mean, this is, is going to be an important part of an emerging trend of what we could call wearable computers. And, you know, Google is making this sort of audacious claim that glass, and this is from the, the lead product designer He was talking about this on The, the Verge in the, in the video interview that they recently did, uh-huh. uh, which I'll put a link to in the notes. And he was saying, basically, part of the problem with technology is what we've been talking about, that we're like, it's constantly distracting us. And so they're trying to solve that with this putting this thing on your head and this piece of glass right in front of your eye. But, but they're being serious. like They're trying to solve it by, what he said, bringing the technology closer to your senses. And you use this term ubiquitous computing. Um, Amber Case, who gave a keynote at the Buddhist East Conference, she talked about this trend toward computers becoming so ubiquitous, so everywhere, And they're becoming smarter in terms of communicating with each other, kind of knowing what we're trying to do. You know, the Nest Learning Thermostat's a great example of like an early version of this.
1: Or Google Now. Or Google Now. These
0: these sort of um, technologies that have basically like learning algorithms in them. So they're basically learning from your behavior and then offering things up or doing things without you having to tell it. So they essentially recede into the background, except when they're needed and it seems like that's the philosophy behind glass that said it doesn't seem like there's anything inherent in the technology that will keep people from sort of continuing to develop addictive apps, you know, like everyone's worst fears, like Google ads popping up everywhere in your visual <laughs> field. <laughs> I know. It's an advertiser's wet dream. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so in my mind, again, it comes down to this issue of like, well, even something amazing like that, like glass, even if it could potentially recede into the background, you still have to develop and design applications and software that will let let it recede into the background. Well, what's your thought on sort of these emerging things like glass and, and contemplative tech? Like, how, how do you, how do you imagine? Um,
1: well, one you know? of the one of the things that um... I've been thinking a lot about, in terms of uh, uh, you know, contemplative tech, is uh, technology that can assist us in becoming more aware of what's actually happening in the moment. And you know, I have a, a, a background with, with Shinzen Young Yang and Vipassana meditation, and so that's kind of my, my orienting perspective um, when I think about being present and to whatever's happening in your sensory experience. And I think uh, with something like Google Glass, I, I can see because it knows where you are, it knows, you know, it has sound sensors, you know, your phone has sound sensors. If you're in a loud environment, quiet environment, um, if you're moving, if you're stationary, uh, how much, you know, with the camera, they can sense, you know, how much movement's going on in front of you. And all of these are, are very uh, important variables that, um, one could design some kind of a contemplative app uh, to kind of instruct the user based on what's what's happening uh, to pay attention to different aspects, or uh, especially with some of the the biosensors that are coming out. You know, knowing if uh, you're feeling stress in a particular situation, your your heart rate's going up, um, or what have you. So, I mean, there's there's, there's all kinds of. Uh, applications like that and you know it's going to go through the same phase that uh, smartphone did where people are constantly you know looking to the above you and and to the (laughs) to the left of you (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you're gonna have to be like, hey, are you, are you listening to me or whatever? But but the other cool thing is that you know now you can take photos and you can take videos and you can record life moments that are really important and really precious and enhance the human experience in easier ways that that don't get in the way of your natural. Interacting, you know, you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket and hold it up, and everybody gets weird about, you know, getting a picture snapped or whatever. So, you know, there's good, there's good things and there's bad things, and I think it's important for. Number one, I think it's really important for designers uh, who are designing these type of technologies to, you know, maybe think about adopting some kind of an introspective practice because it, it can really influence the, the your products and your designs. Uh, and I hope that uh, a lot of the tech companies and that kind of thing, I mean, Wisdom 2.0 is a great example of, you know, the, the tech scene kind of getting hip to, meditation and, and this kind of thing. And it and it, and it might be to varying degrees that, that they're interested, but they're interested. And I think that's what's important to carry the conversation forward.
0: Okay, really cool. And then in terms of looking at some other, I just wanted us to sort of, sort of explore some other emerging technologies and, and sort of maybe just touch on how they might be related to this whole contemplative tech um, emergence. And, you know, a couple that come to mind. One are... EEG headsets. You know, there's like a whole host of different EEG stuff coming out. Like Interaxon has the Muse. Uh, Jetson Brewer, who I, had, who I had on the show, talked about his Go Blue headset. Yeah. Um, there's a number of other headsets coming out, and 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 some of them are being designed at least with some awareness of 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 what we've been talking about of different mind states. Um, Go Blue is specifically coming out of meditation research. So those that's sort of one whole category. Then there's something that hasn't really come out fully in the u.s but it's being sort of tested i think for depression like in canada in particular um, which is the transcranial direct stimulation technology or tcds oh you nailed it good <laughs> job dude <laughs> um, so I, th- this is something i heard about mostly through shinzen mm-hmm. um, so i was thinking we could touch on that one a little bit too and then there's probably a whole host of other ones, but I think, I think those are some of the, especially the brain-computer the brain interfacing technologies that sort of are kind of around the bend. I mean, in terms of we're looking at, you know, five to ten years out, probably these are going to be accessible and powerful.
1: Yeah, I, I would add one more to that, too. Yeah, and uh, Nootropics. Um, you know, more powerful, uh, kind of better nootropics. Mm. Um, is another interesting uh, potential so contemplative like technology. Pop,
0: popping, uh, Pill popping. Popping pills. To, yeah. <laughs> pop, pop pills to blow your mind. It's a good thing there's no like uh, there's no testing board for like meditators like there are with uh, professional bikers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, your enlightenment is invalid. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's talk about some of these things because now we're getting into devices that like at least in the case of EEG and TCDS, like they, they interface directly with your brain. Yeah. Um, so it's getting into some really crazy stuff. And the cutting edge of meditation research is right now in sort of looking at really looking at the brain and kind of what's going on in states of meditation, um in the brains of advanced meditators who've been doing it for decades, what happens in the in the brains of meditators who've been doing mindfulness for eight weeks. And they're sort of like learning a lot at this point about what's happening in the brain, and it seems like a lot of that is now sort of being translated into useful information for these EEG headset makers and software developers. Yeah, um, Brainbot is another one that we yeah. sort of mentioned. You know, um, yep, they're doing really a interesting guys stuff. In San Francisco, who were meditation researchers, who then went on to create this company um, yeah. that's doing an EEG headset. So. Yeah, I'm really curious. Uh, I tried Interaxon when I was at Wisdom 2.0. Oh, you mostly. did? The, the, the Muse? The Muse. I, I tried the demo. and How comfortable is it? That's what I want to know. It's, it's actually really comfortable. I nice. had the sort of demo unit on, but yeah. um, the normal one looked pretty comfortable as well. Um, cool. It's four channel, you know, there's like two channels in the frontal lobe and then two channels right next to it. Oh, and nice. it's actually it's cool because it's designed in a way that it's not so ugly. Like it's, it's actually right. sexier than the glass. <laughs> it's just, it just, sort of looks yeah. like a headband basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And it was, I mean, it was, it was actually really cool. The, the EEG headset that I'd used before that, that you and I went in on was a one channel. Um, that, that was a Neurosky. That was a Neurosky and it was pretty simple. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have to say like at this point, And I'm not sure if it's the EEG hardware or if it's the software, but I haven't been super impressed by EEG stuff yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have a feeling, at least with the Muse, that a lot of it was the software. Yeah. That a lot of it was like terminology, like what do they mean by focus and what do I mean as a meditation practitioner by focus? Mm -hmm. How are those different? Yeah. Um, What are we measuring? I mean, there definitely seemed like there was a correlation between something internal and the external feedback, but it wasn't clear to me that anyone has quite nailed it with respect to meditation but i suspect that they probably someone will in the next few years i mean someone's going to start to dial in and see correlations between these you know uh, frequencies these brain frequencies and and be able to have sufficient hardware to like tell if you're in a certain state and then to give you feedback on it yeah i mean and that's pretty incredible that would be pretty pretty big deal for in training to mind totally yeah. i mean yeah it comes back to that um
1: that importance of feedback and i think that's one of the really important things that these uh, brain readers are doing and, you know some of them it, it might be just a little like kitschy and and whatever you know you see the neural sky uh, brain reader with the cat ears or whatever that go up and down i mean it's completely pointless, but I think the important thing that it's doing for people is um, kind of calling attention to um, the fact that your subjective states are changing, and and they can see in real time how their subjective state is affecting, you know, whether, whether it's dials on a screen or it's ears going up and down, and I think that is really, really important for people, because one thing that um, meditation kind of has going against it, uh, is that the the benefits aren't necessarily seen very quickly. So, you know, if, if you're overweight and you want to go to the gym and you want to put in the work, you know, after a couple of weeks, you can see the difference and everyone else can too. And that's a big motivating factor. With meditation, there, there's not really, um, or there hasn't been up to this point, a, a really a way to see, okay, I'm I'm getting better in a certain aspect. So I think that these brainwave readers, you know, if people can play games with each other and put themselves into particular states of mind really well, and you know, kind of beat their friends, it's it's gonna perk their interest. I think in being like, wow, okay, there's this whole uh, smorgasbord of different mental states that I can conjure up, and like, what what other kind of kind of stuff. Uh, could I do? And I think in the, the contemplative space, I think this, um, all the research that's coming out is really interesting because the, they're showing that, you know, different types of meditation produce different types of brain states. And Zen meditators are showing different uh, brain readings than. You know, uh, nuns or uh, someone doing vipassana. Um, so there's this whole variety of mental states that we have access to. And I think it's really going to be interesting to kind of pair these these two aspects up: the, the meditative research field and these kind of hardware companies that are building uh, hardware and software that can detect different states. And I really think what uh, BrainBot is doing is really cool, too, in terms of uh, trying to, to to marry some kind of a an experience uh, between those two that's actually helpful for people who are more interested in meditation. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's, really, it's really interesting because there's something that uh, Ray Kurzweil, the futurist and technologist, he has a term for this, which is the false pretender, that there, mm-hmm. usually with new technological innovations, you, you tend to have something that sort of appears on the scene and you're like, oh, that's it but then it ends up being a kind of pretender and there's something that emerges after that that's that's the real deal that actually does what you sort of had hoped would happen. Like the car phone is a perfect example. It's a false pretender of the cell phone. And I sort of wonder oftentimes if if many of the kind of contemplative technologies that we're looking at now are either really, really, really like archaic, early first versions of what will eventually become mature or they are sort of false pretenders. It seems like that in my mind is the phase we're in is like we're in a very early phase of these technologies actually being more helpful than if you just sort of sat down and tried to meditate by yourself or if you just used a book, for instance, which is itself a technology.
1: Right. Well, and I think that's the point is that um, it's never been easier to learn about meditation and to actually do a practice and you know, have kind of scientific, uh, validated research studies. You know, saying yes, meditation is doing these these things. It's for real, um, and that's really exciting. I I think you're exactly right that it's it's early days still, and uh, I, I think what it boils down to is you know, how can we be more present with our experience in whatever degree that that's happening? Um, so sometimes I think people can get this, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe more traditionally minded people can have this very adverse reaction to technology and, you know, we should just shut off the, the internet and cl- close our laptops and, you know go meditate in cabins and that's fine for some people but what i think is important is that we're able to be present with whatever is happening in the moment you know whether we're on our iphones or we're not on our iphones um and whatever technology can help us
0: do that i i think is is good it's it's a great point because a lot of technologists describe technology as an extension of our senses you know uh, Marshall McLuhan talked about technology as as extending our our senses and in that sense like if meditation is about becoming aware of what's happening in the sensory field you know in the senses like then shouldn't we also be bringing awareness to the extension of those senses, like isn't in some ways technology is like sort of the fifth foundation of mindfulness, you know, there's traditionally four, but then (laughs) now we have this whole way that we've extended our experiencing out, um, beyond, you know, the four walls that we're normally contained in, even though we're still experiencing them in that way.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, impermanence happens, uh, whether, you know, you're chopping vegetables or watching a movie or, um, you know, meditating or <laughs> FaceTiming, uh, FaceTiming or Facebooking and <laughs> face planning, <laughs> 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 whatever, whatever is going on, um, those fundamental aspects of reality are happening. And I think it's just about bringing wisdom to technology. That's so important. It's not, we're not going to get anywhere by, you know, all of those contemplatives, you know, running off and do a, a Cave somewhere and uh, waiting it out. You know, it's like we we really need to get in there and bring our perspectives to bear on what's being created.
0: Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the Village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners